Welcome to Answers from Antioch. You have joined us at the intersection of God's Word and today's world. This broadcast is brought to you by the Antioch Baptist Church in Bristol, Virginia. Join us as we examine information that impacts the church, the Christian, and the Christian home. Hello, everyone. Thanks so very much for tuning in on this Sunday evening. I am Pastor Brad, and we are so glad that you could be with us. Pastor Josh is joining us here in just a bit. but We have a lot of information to share with you, so please hang around with us for the next few minutes, if you will. Answers from Antioch. We take a day's, today's current events and look through the lens of the Scripture and see what is going on. And, of course, this coming week is Valentine's Day, Tuesday the 14th. And we're all thinking about love, at least you better be. And the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts through and by the Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad for that? The very source, the very origin of love itself is God. God is love. The Bible tells us, once I was asked the question of, wasn't there love before God? As if God has not eternally existed, this individual asked me the question, said he believed that love was here before there ever was a God or anything else. And love was the original emotion or original state before anything else came. That was the question that was asked to me. But the answer is in the Bible, and the answer is this. God is love. Love has to be expressed. Love has to have someone to express it. Love has to have an object. And we find that God is the source of all of those. He's the source of love, the origin of love. He's the object to be loved. He is the one who loves. So there is our Lord in the answer of that question, who certainly God is love, and we'll talk more about that in just a minute. Certainly last, uh, boy, last Sunday night, February the 5th, the Grammy Awards, which is supposed to be something that uh, hopefully the family could watch, but my, you better not watch that. We were in our Jubilee meeting here and had wonderful services, but after I got to reading what happened in the Grammy Awards, an open worship of Satan. Satan is no longer appearing just as an angel of light, a deceptive uh, person that is almost like an angel. No, he came out in boldness there in the Grammy Awards. And uh, Pfizer Drug Company uh, brought that horrible scene on in the Grammy Awards, and it was open Satan worship, no doubt about it. I won't say more about it. You can uh, look it up and find out the information. Go to uh, a lot of the Christian websites, and they have details of it. And it just made me sick to my stomach to find out what they were doing and how it was open worship of the devil. Of course, there's uh, abortion temples now that is in satanic temples. I call it abortion temples because certainly it is the worship of Satan, and it is the worship of of murder itself in abortion. So uh, the two go hand in hand together, and now they're boldly declaring that at the Satanic Temple they can get, uh, quote, uh, recognition as a religious organization and have abortions there. And here we see all of this, and we're still reminded 
that the greatest weapon we have, the greatest love story we have, the greatest love language we have is prayer. The Word of God tells us that prayer is the true love language, absolutely. And it's our greatest weapon. The greatest weapon in our arsenal is the ability to call upon the only true and living God, Jehovah, our Lord Jesus, call upon Him in prayer. He answers prayer. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is all-seeing. Our lovely Lord is everything, and He can never fail. He is always good, and you and I can seek Him in prayer and always, in every situation, overcome the enemy. We are more than conquerors, the Word of God tells us. In everything, He, our Lord Jesus, has caused us to try up. In everything. I mean, there's nothing else, my friend, that can ever defeat us when we have Jesus Christ in us and we enjoy this lovely prayer language. That is prayer. Love language, rather. That is prayer. I want to quote something from Andrew Mary, and I think he's so right. He said, prayer is not merely coming to God to ask something from him, which, of course, it is that too, but it's not merely that. Matter of fact, more importantly, he went on to say, above all else, it is fellowship with God and being brought under the power of his holiness and his love until he takes possession of us. And he stamps out our old man and our entire nature with the loveliness of Christ and the beauty of Jesus Christ, which certainly is the secret of true worship. Andrew, Mary, I agree with you 100%. Prayer is that love language. Now, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians here and chapter number 5, he tells us here in verse 14, The love of Christ constraineth us. That love of Christ. Now, it's, is it his love for us, or is it our love for him that constrains us, or compels us, or pushes us on, or moves us along like a mighty rushing current of water? Is it the love of God that compels me? and pushes me on regardless of all that is going on around me? Is it God's love for me or my love for Him? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because the answer is both. It's both His love in me and for me and my love for Him. You see, God has shed His love in our hearts. He's put His love in our hearts when He put the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have God the Holy Ghost with us, the very person of Christ with us, Christ in us. We have Him, and we have His love working in us and through us. You and I, my friend, can always, always rejoice in the fact that God's love is never leaving us. Hallelujah. And praise His holy name. Now, this love language of prayer. Let's talk about it here just for a moment. When I talk about the love language of prayer, I want to talk about the fact that throughout history, history itself proves that prayer 
has always caused the greatest advancements in the kingdom of God. For instance, in Exodus chapter 1, Israel was not delivered out of Egypt until their cry came into the ears of God, or their prayers came greatly into the ears of God, Exodus 1 says. We find that in David's time, in King David's time, when Israel reached its zenith, that it was not without hardship and heart-rending, travailing, longing prayer for the God of Israel to bless. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 3, take time to read that, and you'll see that it was, it was prayer, it was sincere, fervent prayer that brought about the kingdom under David. In the days of King Josiah, when the word of God was found neglected in the temple and the curse of God was upon the land because of it, Josiah rent his clothes and he wept and he led Israel to repent and turn for their idolatry and worship the Lord again, establishing the Passover feast again, obeying the word of God. Read that story in 2 Kings chapter 22. And chapter 23, always prayer has been that which has brought the very blessings of God and established his work. It's the love language. Uh, in the work of Nehemiah, remember, when he heard of the condition of Jerusalem, he travailed in prayer and fasted and longed for God to do a supernatural work in rebuilding the walls and rebirthing a nation. And what God do? He did it. And the, the walls were completed in 52 days, those walls which had been destroyed for nearly 140 years. Read Nehemiah chapter 1 and chapter 6, and, and you'll see more and more of how prayer, that love language, touches the heart of God. In the upper room, remember, the disciples waited in the days of the early church, agonizing, longing, waiting for God's power to come. And uh, they were waiting for the Spirit to fill them so that they could be witnesses. For ten days they prayed and read the promise of the Scriptures from Joel chapter 2. That's what they were meditating in, Joel 2, 28 through 32, desiring that the uh, outpouring of the Spirit would come as promised. And, of course, prayer brought that. Martin Luther, the great leader of the Reformation, we also attribute him uh, with, the, with the Reformation, but he was not the only one longing for Reformation. Reading ancient history, we find there were many, there were many who had their Bibles hid. They were worshiping in secret across Europe, was travailing and longing for God to move, and he did. See, this is true, friend, not only in the broad sense, but individually. It's prayer in us. As Andrew Mary said, in prayer through us, that is all above all else. It's fellowship with God. It's being brought under the power of His holiness and His love until He takes possession of us, stamps out our old nature with His nature. That prayer is our wonderful love language 
in these days. Let us not forget that. It also is our greatest weapon against such open worship of Satan in our land as it's coming about, the open worship of Satan. You and I have the great weapon of prayer because the prayer is to the only true and living God, the great God who cannot fail, who cannot be wrong, who cannot be overpowered, our great God, the Lord Jesus himself, who has already defeated Satan and destroyed the works of the devil. Let us not forget, in this week of love, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, and let's let the love of God shine through us more than ever. All right, come on, Pastor Josh, and share with us some very important information today. Thank you, Pastor Brad, and thank you to our listening audience. I'm so glad to be with you. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Answers from Antioch, brought to you by the Antioch Baptist Church in Bristol, Virginia. We invite you to connect with us through our website. That's AntiochBristol.com. We just completed our annual Jubilee 2023. We had a wonderful week. I encourage you to go to our website. You can Watch the services if you weren't able to be with us. A lot of great preaching, and God really blessed us this year with a sweet spirit in every single one of our services. And to me, it was just a time of spiritual refreshing, like recharging the batteries, and felt so good to worship the Lord together with brothers and sisters in Christ, to hear God's Word preached and to just come back to a time of spiritual refreshment and personal renewal and revival. And we're praying and continuing to pray that God would work a move in a great way in our churches across this land. Our churches need the good news of Jesus Christ in this day and hour that we live. It seems to be getting increasingly darker But we know the light of Jesus Christ still shines brightly. And we as the church have an opportunity and an obligation to hold forth the word of life and to put forward God's truth into the world that we live in today. And I want to share that from God's word. You know, you got many people today who say, well, I'm not going to take a political stand. I'm not going to talk about the issues. I'm not going to preach about anything that's taboo or that they discuss in the political arena, whether that be gender identity, whether that be sexuality, uh, any of those kinds of things or a host of other things. It doesn't have to be just limited to that sphere. It could be a host of issues that we have deemed to be political or cultural, and the church is just not going to get involved. We're just going to stay neutral. We're going to stay in our lane, so to speak, and just preach niceness and kindness and be nice to each other, be kind to each other, encourage. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, and just don't ruffle any feathers. Just stay into the nice moral stories. And don't concern yourself with these other things that are going on. The politicians will take care of those things. And then the politicians can come into the church when COVID hits and say, hey, you can't meet 
You're not essential. The liquor stores are going to be open. All these other establishments can be open, but we've got to close these churches. People cannot be gathering and congregating in these churches. Hey, why isn't the government staying in their lane if that's the way it works? But friend, it doesn't work that way, and the government knows it. That's why they constantly try to encroach encroach into the local church and to do what they can uh, to... Uh, silence the local church in any way, shape, or form. And we see in Mark chapter number 6, while we don't preach a political message, in other words, the messages that I preach, uh, I'm not getting up to give a political stump speech or to, uh, you know, be blatantly political. However, however, the messages that we preach will have political ramifications, because politics bleeds into every area of our life. But the Scripture governs every area of our life as well. It's impossible to divorce these things. It's impossible to separate them out into these small categories. And I'm not suggesting uh, that the church and the state should are at war with each other, although we have to take a bold stand. And that's really what I'm emphasizing, is that we need to stand for truth and that we need to be willing to proclaim truth even when it comes into areas of relationships, areas that our culture deems to be off-limits for the church. We have to speak God's truth. I keep referencing Mark chapter 6. Let me show you what happens here. And this is the biblical basis for everything that I've been saying to you. There was this man, this wild preacher from the wilderness. Uh, we may call him a country preacher in today's terminology. His name was John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And he took an unpopular stand in his day. And look what happened as a result. Well, Jesus is preaching and they being they being Herod mistakes Jesus for John the Baptist come back from the dead. And then it gives us a footnote almost, a parenthesis to explain what had happened to John the Baptist. In Mark 6 verse 18, for John had said unto Herod, it is not lawful in other words, it goes against God's word for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore, Herodias had a quarrel against him, John the Baptist, and would have killed him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy man, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. And when a convenient day was come, Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords and high captains and chief estates of Galilee. In other words, he threw a big birthday bash. And when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that uh, sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. And he sware unto her, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it thee unto the half of my kingdom. She went forth and said to her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in straightway, immediately, 
with haste unto the king, and asked, saying, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger the head of John the Baptist. And the king was exceeding sorry, yet for his oath's sake and for their sakes which sat with him, he would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel. And the damsel gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. These are sad verses in one sense, but there's also a victory here. And we understand that John the Baptist was willing to bring the truth of God's word, even when it cut across the grain, even when it was unpopular, even when it cost him by being put into jail. And then it went much further than that. It ultimately cost him his life. He lost his physical head by taking the strong stand that he took. Was it was he claiming in his strong stand that Jesus was God and that's what cost him his life? That's what we may assume, but that's not exactly what cost him his life. Although that was the central message, and there's no doubt about it, and Jesus makes it clear, his strong stand was for God's truth, even in the area of relationships. He pointed it out to Herod that you are not right with God in this relationship that you are in. What boldness that he had. What if John the Baptist were alive today, and he was the pastor Let's say he's the pastor of your church and you found out that he wanted to proclaim this kind of message beforehand. Maybe he had hinted at it before and you caught wind of it. What would your advice be to John the Baptist? John, just keep your mouth shut. Let Herod run his own life. Let him have his own business. That's none of your business. You don't have to speak up to him. That's not your place to share your opinion on that. You don't have to stand up for truth right now in this way. Would you give him that advice? If so, would you think that you would be agreeing with Jesus on that advice to him? I mean, that seems pretty commonplace today, doesn't it? That seems to be the kind of advice that you may receive your own self what if somebody came to you and told you you know what just keep quiet don't speak your opinion it doesn't matter you know john the baptist was willing to stand up for truth he knew that he jesus must increase i must decrease he didn't think about himself he loved God more than he loved self. He loved Jesus more than he loved self. And that was proven when he stood up for God's truth and he stood up for what was right, even though it cost him, even though it sent him to his very death. He was willing to stand and to stand unapologetically and to stand firmly upon God's truth. When we read through that scripture, do you see any statement where John was apologizing for what he said or or John was trying to equivocate and say, 
you really didn't understand what I was saying. I, I didn't mean it so personally. Please don't kill me. Uh, I, I'm sorry for how I said it. I came across a little bit rough with you guys, and I apologize for that. But I, I've got these followers who are depending on me, and man, they really need me at this time. And and I take it back. You know, it, it's okay. You guys just. You live your life the way you want. Do we see any of that from John the Baptist? No, not in any way, shape, or form. He does never renounce his strong stand. And what does Jesus say about him for the strong stand that he took even after Jesus hears about all of this? In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus gives his opinion on the person of John the Baptist starting around verse 8. But what went you out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment, soft clothing, you know, fancy clothes? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. But what went you out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say unto you, more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not arisen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And so what Jesus is saying is that we don't really play favorites. He doesn't really have favorites in the kingdom of God. The ground is equal. There's no big eyes and Little use, as the saying goes, and that is so true. That is absolutely so true. But Jesus is paying ultimate respect to the ministry and the person of John the Baptist. And so if Jesus backs up and verifies the ministry and puts so much esteem upon John the Baptist, don't you think Jesus is validating exactly what is happening here. And he knows all things. Jesus knows all things. And he knows that John is going to take this strong stand, even though it's going to cost him dearly. And Jesus also validates and encourages us to look at John the Baptist as a great example to follow after and to emulate. And so what does that have to do with us today? There are so many things that are happening in our world that oftentimes the church is tempted to remain silent on. And we can't speak about that. That's for the politicians. We don't talk about these cultural things. We don't talk about what's happening in our local schools. We don't talk about what's happening in these areas. But friend, if the church fails to speak up now, will our voice be silenced forever? And if the American church fails to speak in this hour, what will happen to the influence of the good news all around the world? If we do not stand for truth in our day and in our generation, then who will stand for truth? Who will be the one to come onto the scene and take the place that the church has left in empty void and empty vacuum. The culture has taken the place of the church as being the voice of morality, 
to this generation that is searching, that is trying to find its way, groping in the darkness. We have the truth. We have the way. We have God's word. We have to speak into this moment and to tell people there is a better way. God has a better plan for you. Here is the truth. Yes, it may cost us some friendships. Yes, it may cost us some other kinds of relationships. It may cost us. Would it cost us our head like it did John the Baptist at this point in America? No. We have an opportunity. We have a voice. We need to let our voice be heard as we speak the truth in love and go forward with Christ. John spoke the truth in love. May we take up that mantle and boldly proclaim unapologetically that this is God's truth for us today. Thank you for joining us today. We encourage you to visit our website at antiochbristol.com. There you will find many ways to contact us and connect with us, and so much more. Until next time, stand firm in Jesus' truth.